Welcome back into Season 4 of the Talking Tide Podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com. Joined, as always, by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports in Tuscaloosa. You can catch that 11 to noon on 102.9 FM. Thanks for joining us, our season debut episode, Travis. Uh, uh looking forward to the season of course as always alabama football getting ready to start up camp here pretty soon and so we launch uh this season's podcast with uh kind of a fall camp preview so kind of a lot to get into but uh more than anything just nice to get back on the pod waves after a, an absence of a couple of months over the summer yeah a little bit of a hiatus for us but uh you're right. Plenty of storylines going into 2019 fall camp, which will get underway on Friday, August uh, 2nd. You're going to have fan day the very next day at Bryant-Denny Stadium, that open practice that Nick Saban treats the fan base uh, and the media to. On Saturday, August the 3rd, you're going to have autographs available to the fans on that Saturday. So, I mean, it's here. There's no doubt about it. It's It's on our front doorstep, and uh, again, some position battles to maybe get into, some competition uh, across the board, some you know, early uh, departures to the National Football League kind of leaves Alabama in an interesting situation as far as depth goes. There's always frontline players, it seems like, for this program regardless of the attrition. But if there's an area where Alabama is a mere mortal like everybody else, it's probably more so. Uh, in the depth uh, of this football team. So there's a lot to get into, and we're going to do that coming up right now. We'll move around to a few different positions. The Talking Tide podcast, of course, is always available to you quickest at our web host, which is podbean.com, and you can also catch us on various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, Podbean.com, though, is where it drops first. A little bit of a drag with those apps. Uh, but uh, Podbean, the place to go for sure if, if you want to hear the podcast this season as soon as it drops. Also, follow us on Twitter. The handle there is at Talkin underscore Tide. It's T-A-L-K-I-N. We drop that G, Travis, in the south, uh, underscore Tide uh, for the Twitter feed. Travis, let's go ahead and start, I guess, uh, at the top with the coaching staff before we even get into the players. Lots of turnover for sure with this staff. Not unusual for Nick Saban. He, he's always got some amount of turnover, although it seems lately, not just this offseason, but the last couple of offseasons, the turnover rate's been especially high. And uh, this year, just a couple weeks ago at SEC Media Day's uh, Saban took a little bit of a poke uh, at, at, at the previous staff collectively. Didn't call anybody out by name, uh, but but felt like the, the focus wasn't always there down the stretch as they were maybe looking ahead to other jobs. Yeah, 13 combined assistant coaches that have uh, gone and, and uh, refilled, I guess you could say, backfilled for this Alabama coaching staff since the start of the 2018 season and Saban's comments in Hoover a week ago did uh, did cause a few waves I guess you could say although if you really go back and, and, and think about Saban's comments after that national championship performance against the Clemson Tigers and then into spring when he talked about getting back to the Alabama 
standard, the Alabama way of doing things. I think a lot of people took that as, you know, a more physical approach, being more of the dominant team at the point of attack, at the lines of scrimmage. I think he was talking about as much as anything, the way Alabama has always gone about its business, not just from a player standpoint either, uh, but from a preparation standpoint and how the coaching staff has done its thing in, in most years under Nick Saban. So, you know, I think he was already speaking to that back in March and April, but to hear him say it in that big main media room there that you were in uh, last week when he, he made some of those comments and throughout the day there in Hoover, it, it struck more of a chord because of the setting because of the you know attention that was being paid to one of the biggest spectacles certainly in in, in the lead up to, to college football each and every year so uh, I didn't think it was all that shocking to hear what he said because I think he pretty much spoke to that maybe not in as certain terms as he did in Hoover um, but yeah he seems uh, and, and you get the sense you know even behind the scenes, he feels really good about this staff, and I, I think a lot of that, Chase, has to do um, as much with the defensive side of the ball, although offensively there were some some chinks in the armor from that standpoint as well. Uh, but last year, as you recall, there were a lot of question marks about that side of the ball because Saban had promoted from within. Tasha Poy, really no experience as a defensive coordinator, certainly none as a play caller on the defensive side of the ball that obviously did not go well that became clear early in the 2018 season I think Nick Saban feels really good about Pete Golding feels like he's got a guy more along the lines of Kirby Smart Jeremy Pruitt um, and then offensively you know I think he feels really comfortable with Steve Sarkeesian stepping in there although Mike Loxley did a great job last year um, Sark going to handle both the coordinator and quarterback roles and those were split a year ago uh, between Dan Enos and Mike Loxley, new offensive line coach, and Kyle Flood. Um, you know, saw, uh, Holman Wiggins uh, uh, on the, on the, uh, with the wide receiver, so that's different. But, yeah, you still get the sense, even with seven new assistants, Chase, is as much concern as some might have in looking at that on the surface, that Saban, at least, is in a better place going into the season with this staff than maybe his previous one. It's interesting, too, you mentioned Ian has had a role as a, as a co-OC last year, but for whatever reason, Loxley was was the OC face. Uh, Loxley, the one, seems to get all the credit for the success of the offense last season, and the exchange, the offseason exchange at OC uh, with, with Loxley and, and Sark probably will be I don't think there's any question it'll be the most scrutinized uh, new look Alabama's got anywhere on that coaching staff, primarily because Loxley just uh, and you know it wasn't just lot wasn't just him as as you noted, but they set a school record for total yards last year. Uh, yeah. I mean, they scored 45, 46 points a game. It was a it was a ridiculously successful offense, especially for the Alabama program. Uh, and and here comes Sark right behind it, and the quarterback, the Heisman Trophy contender is back. All the stud receivers are back. Uh, there's not going to be any – no one's going to be crying any tears for, for Sark 
if if the offense take a big step backwards, no one's going to let Jonah Williams or Irv Smith uh, the loss of those. Not that those. Not that Jonah Williams and Irv Smith weren't special players, but no one's going to uh, give Sark a pass because those two have moved on. No, the expectation is going to be for Sark, if anything, to take this offense to an even higher level. And you mentioned it, Irv Smith Jr. Uh, onto the NFL, Jonah Williams onto the NFL. Two backs. Uh, your two backs and Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris both. Uh, draft choices uh, going to make NFL rosters going to be a big part of NFL rosters this year but you know there's always another train coming when it comes to town it seems like at Alabama so with Najee Harris, Brian Robinson stepping in there, Trey Sanders coming in is a five star prospect at the running back position up front, Alex Leatherwood kicking out the left tackle, you got Jedrick Wills back on the right side to protect Tua Tagovailoa's blind side um, maybe more questions with the interior of that offensive line uh, this year compared to the last several years. Uh, although there is talent there, you're, you're going to be breaking in some fresh faces. You know, real possibility that in that season opener against Duke, um, you're going to have three first-time starters at the interior spots. Now, Matt Womack may be one of those three, and we know that he started every game at right tackle a couple of seasons ago. But I'm talking about at the interior position. So, um, yeah, there, there's some questions to answer on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, when you return a wide receiver core that caught, that was responsible for 201 receptions last year and 32 touchdowns, Chase, Insane. and a quarterback who threw for 43 touchdowns a year ago, nearly 4,000 yards, um, you're, you're absolutely correct. And yeah, there's not going to be uh, sympathy for Sark, I guess you could say, uh, if this offense doesn't live up to its potential. No, and and the backs, I brought up Williams and, and Irv Smith primarily because in the backfield, Nick Saban's recruited so well at that running back position. He's really created an an expectation now that whoever the next guy up is when they lose somebody to the NFL draft, when they lose somebody to injury, graduation, what have you, that guy's going to be a monster. That That's fair or not. He's he's done so well bringing in running backs, and he and he's kept it so deep for so long that that's the expectation. So when you lose a Josh Jacobs at the end of the first round, when you lose a guy like Damian Harris, who's who's got, I guess, probably ended up, I'm sure, with with three thousand plus career yards. Yeah. No one no one bats an eye. No, they don't. And you know, a little different style of backs, at least when you look at. Najee Harris and uh, Brian Robinson. These are 225-pound type guys. Not that Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs were 185 or 190 or Warwick Dunn types. They were both 210-ish plus. Um, so they had adequate size. Um, but maybe a little different style of running game this year. Maybe a return to more of the downhill approach that's synonymous with Alabama football. Certainly uh, for much of Nick Saban's tenure in Tuscaloosa. And I think they've got some versatility, though. I think people look at Josh Jacobs moving on and everything he can do on a football field and think, well, Alabama doesn't have that kind of – well, they, I, I would agree with that. Um, but I think in, in some other ways, you know, Irv Smith Jr. moves on to the NFL. There's some questions about the tight end position. Hale Hinches moves on as well. 
Well, I think a guy like Brian Robinson can be used in some ways in some two-back sets as an H-back, some different things. You can get him and Najee Harris on the field together. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to still still have at their fingertips just about any type of personnel grouping they'd like to go to with the depth they have at wide receiver, with Miller Forrestall stepping up at the tight end position. And again, you know, some of the different things you can do with Brian Robinson, the talent of Najee Harris, and then, you know, the expectation for Trey Sanders as a true freshman to come in and give them some more of maybe that home run dynamic element that uh, that that perhaps won't be there as much with Najee Harris and Brian Robinson. What about a hand on the ground? And we're, we'll get in the weeds here a little bit with this offense, but a hand on the ground tight end in this, you know, Nick Saban always likes to have one on hand. Uh, who? It's not Miller Forrestall's game. Uh, and, and I guess Kedrick James, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't even begin the season eligible to play. So He's in the transfer portal on top of that. So, yeah, I, I think Cameron Latou, that experiment, you know how you, you've been yeah. around this. And, yeah. So you know how, Nick, in the spring it's called an experiment. Even if a guy goes all 15 practices and works with the ones like Cameron Latou did in the 8A game with Miller Forstall. I think we're beyond that now. I think it'll be a shocker if Cameron Latou isn't a tight end to go along with Miller Forstall. And I think he could be that guy, Chase. Um, I think Forstall can do some of that, but I agree with you. Um, he's more of a guy that, like Irv Smith Jr., you can kind of sp- split him out, flex him out there in the slot, You know, turn a three-wide receiver set into a four-wide receiver set with his skill set. Um, but I think Cameron Latou, 6'5", 247 or so, he has those physical attributes, Chase, um, that, that could serve him well. And I like his background as an outside linebacker because those are a lot of times the guys he's going to deal with. So he should have uh, a mental aptitude and an experience level having worked on that side of the ball that should help him in, in dealing with those guys and perhaps even defensive ends. So, you know, I would I would think Cameron Latou, but you know, there's Major Tennyson that's still around. Michael Parker redshirted a year ago. Jalil Billingsley is coming in, and again, they may have to get creative. Uh, we've seen them use defensive linemen, right, in some of the short yardage sets and goal line sets uh, throughout the years. And again, I go back to Brian Robinson, who I think you know, kind of like a Roy Upchurch. Uh, from years past that you saw used in that sort of role. Yep. Although I think Brian Robinson as a standalone running back can certainly get the job done as well. A lot of it, 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 it's going to look different, I think, Chase, but not so much because Sarkeesian stepping in. I just think the turnover you're going to have in personnel at at running back and tight end is going to try to sort of dictate that be the case. I guess we've, we've beaten around the bush offensively at just about every position now except the quarterback spot, which can't go unmentioned. Tua Tungvaloa returning, uh, f- coming off the most impressive season I think any quarterback's ever had out, uh, at Alabama. Travis, uh, I, he got he didn't play in a lot of second halves. Uh, I, I think as, as great as his overall numbers were, they could have been a lot better if he'd have, if he'd have played a lot more football in the in the second half during the regular season. But um, just a phenomenal talent, a, a generational talent. I think Alabama has on its hands right now with this guy. And as we mentioned before, uh, the bringing back 
all that wide receiver production makes him a scary proposition for the entire SEC. There's no doubt about it, and this is a motivated Tua Tonga-Vailoa on the heels of his performance against Clemson. And a lot of the narrative that has been out there since the end of last season that, well, you know, when you look at Tua down the stretch as the defenses got better, his play slipped. And look, part of that, if you're not going to go ahead and understand that at least part of that had to do with his health, right? Um, you're, you're not being fair to, to Tua Tonga Bailoa or, or, or being really big picture smart about the situation. Yes, the defenses got better. And yes, he had some struggles. But yes, he was dealing with injuries pretty much throughout the second half of the regular season, right on through the college football playoff. But yeah, in its uh, totality, uh, just a, a season for all time. That's the only way you can describe what we saw from Tua Tonga Bailoa uh, a year ago. And uh, even with the injury, injuries uh he continued to play well he wasn't great against clemson but he was great against oklahoma uh in that orange bowl win uh it wasn't great at georgia some of that had to do with the ankle injury certainly early in that contest so you know i think where it starts with tua is his health because since the spring of 2018 what have we seen a pretty steady uh flow of setbacks physically the the hand in spring of 2018 um midway through the regular season the game at arkansas he injures the knee then the ankle injury situation comes against georgia in the sec championship game if this guy stays healthy and, and part of that he has to take ownership for i know nick saban you know he talks about you know to a taking more of what's there and helping him to limit the kind of turnovers we saw uh, at times last season. He only threw six picks against 43 touchdowns. I think you'll take that ratio. But I think, you know, Saban also thinks that Tua can go a long way in helping to protect himself right. by taking the check down when it's there and not, you know, sitting, sitting, sitting. And also, you know, in addition to making himself a little more uh, suspect to turnovers, uh, taking hits and, and and the potential for injury going up as well. Yeah, so, so many offensive touchdowns for Alabama this past in the regular season, especially in the early and middle part of the year when, when Tungavaloa was at his best. Three play drives with a, with a 50-yard touchdown. Five play drive with a 40-yard with a, with a yard. I mean, it, it, was, it was such rapid-fire success that, that maybe it's understandable that at times – uh, if he didn't see his first guy, why take the check down? Because we've, we, we've been hitting huge plays all year. Let's, let's see what pops further down the field. And, and, and there could be a lesson to be learned on that. Yeah, there were more than a couple of occasions. Georgia game, um, you can look at the play. Uh, he got hurt early. That was a textbook example of you know, getting a little greedy. Um, not only because of uh, the injury he sustained, but then also the, the turnover that followed that. Um, yeah, it, it's it's part of the growth process. And you still got to remember, this was a second-year guy at, at the Power 5 level a year ago. So um, it, he, he still had learning to do, and I think he understood that. And, 
you know, that's, that's, I think what we're going to see. That's where I think Sarkeesian's impact on Tua could be the greatest more of, as you know, that pro type of outlook and approach that the check down game in the NFL is not perceived to be a concession at all at the quarterback position. It, it is preferred. And I, I think that's what you're going to see an uptick in with Tua this year. He's still going to be aggressive. He's still going to take his shots. I mean, how could you not with this wide receiver core that he returns? Um, but I think it's going to be uh, very much encouraged that he uh, not view it as settling. I think Tua is the type of competitor, and then you combine that with his physical talents, that he looks at a check down as a settle, you know, as a as a concession. Right. Um, and, and it just needs to be packaged and sold to him as something that can benefit not only the offense first and foremost, but again himself, you know, and, and his health uh, moving forward. A.J. McCarron, early in his career, I thought was the same way as far yep. as feeling like that check down was, was settling uh, for sure. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting to watch this offense, though, no doubt about it. Two of these wide receivers, I, I, I think, are, you know, t- to me, Judy and Waddle are the two of the four who you can hit with some of the shorter stuff a quick hitch, you know, a, a smoke route, whatever, that screen type stuff, and they're better off in the open field making people miss, juking people, and taking a short pass for, for a big play. Ruggs and Smith, particularly Smith, um, more straight speed guys who you want to hit in stride, Travis. Yeah, guys that can hurt you on vertical routes, um, you know, but I'll say this for Henry Ruggs III, and I've said it here of late in some uh, in some other outlets. You know, for this guy to be the fastest player on the team, which, you know, Henry Ruggs III, you ask Jerry Judy, you ask any of those guys, they'll tell you point blank, it is Henry Ruggs III, fastest guy on the team. Uh, but he's also one of the more physical guys on the team. We talk about those quick screens and the ability of guys like Judy and uh, Jalen Waddle to turn them essentially into punt return type plays. Yeah. Uh, you watch those though, and there's guys like Henry Ruggs and also Devontae Smith. You look at Devontae Smith and his body type, maybe his measurables wouldn't speak to it, but he's a guy that will will you know waylay some people in the in the in the blocking aspect of the position. Um, yeah, I, I think you're on it though in terms of what suits those four guys uh, the best and. You know, Judy just is the kind of guy that can do it all. You know, he can do it vertical. He can do it after the catch. Um, he can do it in traffic. Uh, but it, it's it's one of those very rare situations where you have four legitimate number one type talents at the wide receiver position. And who knows with John Mechie emerging, the true freshman, what we saw from him in the spring. Uh, you know, Alabama could have as many as five of those kind of guys now with with Mechie jumping in there. Unbelievable. The Talking Tide podcast continues at podbean.com, also available iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. The Twitter feed, at Talking underscore Tide. Going to take a quick time out now to thank a couple of sponsors, starting with North River Dental Associates, charter sponsor 
of Talking Tide. Going back to, to year one, Dr. Jack Smalley and his staff do such a super job over there. Uh, the phone number is 752 uh, or you can go to NorthRiverDentist.com on the web for an appointment. They're right over there uh, in Northport off of McFarland Boulevard, 1100 Fairfax Park. They've got all the latest tools and equipment. They're gentle on those gums, which you always like for a routine cleaning. They get you in and out quickly. You're not in that waiting room long at all. And they can keep you uh, up to date on your appointments and let you know however you want to be reminded, email, text message, Anything, any way you want to be reminded, uh, they can do it over there at NorthRiverDentist.com uh, on the web for an appointment. It's Dr. Jack Smalley and his staff. Get over there as soon as you can. I'm going to welcome a new sponsor to the Talking Tide podcast. It's one you can find right there in downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. In fact, if you're looking for a top 10 breakfast in the United States, you can get one now right here in Tuscaloosa. It's Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa, Timerson Square. That's right. Rated as a top 10 breakfast in the U.S. by travel and leisure. Outstanding breakfast, outstanding brunch options, lunch as well. The very best Bloody Marys. You talk about kicking off uh, a fall game day, a fall Saturday, really any day. But they have the build-your-own options for a Bloody Mary. In fact, they have a Bloody Mary meal. You can build your own. You can customize them. There really are endless possibilities when it comes to the Bloody Marys down there at Brick and Spoon in downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. But again, the breakfast to get you going on a game day. You're going to want to get by there and check that out. I love the three three cheese omelet, but there are so many ways you can go. If you like French toast, they've got some some great french toast there at brick and spoon but it's it, it, it's amazing you know don't don't have enough time here to go over the entire menu when we get into brunch as well uh, but brick and spoon downtown tuscaloosa at timerson square you're definitely going to want to check out our latest sponsor brick and spoon downtown tuscaloosa Talking Tide, I can vouch personally firsthand yeah, for uh, those Bloody Marys, by the way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Brick and Spoon, a great spot. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed at Talking underscore Tide. Uh, we'll move on, Travis, to the defensive side of the ball, kind of previewing camp. Um, strong and weak. Let's kind of go in that direction, Travis. In, in, your, in your opinion, as camp quickly approaches here, uh, what's the position of the 11 defensively where you, you feel like Alabama is most set, most strong, and uh, the spot with maybe the biggest question mark? I think outside linebacker going into fall camp is a particular area of strength, but I'd put corner right up there with it too when you talk about a top two a Trayvon Diggs and Patrick Sertan the second. But I also like those outside linebackers. You know, you have a depth situation that allows you to take Cameron Latou and send him over to the tight end position because you have an All-American candidate in Anthony Jennings. Um, You also have the hope, anyway, that Terrell Lewis, for the first time in his Alabama career, will really be able to live up to the billing 
through no fault of his own the last couple of seasons, a couple of really tough injuries last year before the start of fall camp, an ACL that took him out of the mix for the entire 2018 season. So, you know, you get a healthy Terrell Lewis to go along with Anthony Jennings and then an emerging Ayabi Anoma at outside linebacker. That's before we talk about Christopher Allen. Um, you know, Kevin Harris is a guy that, Alabama's high on for the future, I think, at that position as well. Sal Sanceri returns to Alabama, his latest stint, his second stint at the spot. Really like what they have at outside linebacker chase. Um, and, and again, corner. Uh, I think Josh Job is set to become a top three type of guy uh, in the nickel and dime looks. So, you know, I think the secondary as a whole really has a chance to be very good in time. More questions about safety than corner, maybe, and especially from a depth standpoint. Right. Um, but I'm going to go with, with the guys on the edges right now. I'll go outside linebacker and corners as particular uh, areas of strength. Terrell Lewis, an interesting case. And, and as he moves into this season, it, to me – his career path's kind of mirroring Christian Miller's in a way, is it not? Both guy, guys that, that can get after the quarterback from the outside linebacker position both struggled with injuries. Christian Miller uh, just plain didn't get on the field much in his career at Alabama until his until he finally put together a, a healthy season on his way out, and it was a productive year uh, for Christian Miller. Um, Terrell Lewis kind of – has has gone in that same direction and 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 maybe now this is his his you know final year similar to miller yeah i I think there's some parallels there um with lewis it's been all about injuries the last two years i think a healthy terrell lewis uh these last two years we're not having a conversation about terrell lewis at alabama for 2019 i think if he had been healthy in 2017 healthy a year ago Terrell Lewis is one of these three and outs that we would be talking about uh like with Josh Jacobs and uh you know some of the other guys that that made that departure from a year ago it's just been a tough run of luck for Terrell Lewis from a health standpoint and yeah Christian Miller had that same situation uh the last couple of years too especially um especially 2017 uh, where in that season opener like Terrell Lewis and uh, had an injury that pretty much knocked him out for the remainder of the regular season. So, yeah, if you get Lewis for 14 or 15 games this year to go along with Anthony Jennings, who I just continue to think, even though I see him on some Buckus Award lists and those type of things and preseason Amer- All-American and All-SEC, I still don't think the guy's valued uh, as much as he should be. But, yeah, you know, Lewis – it absolutely has a chance to be a double-digit sack guy. Uh, and you put he and Anthony Jennings out there together in some pass rush situations along with Yabi and Noma, the potential uh, to use those three guys in those rabbits looks. Um, you know, the pass rush, even with uh, Quentin Williams moving on and, and Christian Miller moving on, has a chance to be exceptional in 2019. How about an area of the defense that's the biggest question mark going into fall camp, Travis? Your thoughts on uh, where the where the soft spot might be going into the season? Talked about safety. I think safety though has a chance to be to be really good because first of all, you've got Xavier McKinney there, who is rock solid. Um, you know, a, a guy that it's going to be interesting this year at safety to see 
you know, do they really have a guy in that high look, free safety type look, that can go sideline to sideline with range like Deontay Thompson did? Like guys like Minka Fitzpatrick, even Ronnie Harrison on occasion could do could do that. Um, you know, is Jared Maiden that guy to go along with Xavier McKinney? Uh, I've said it for a long time now. You'll you'll have a hard time convincing me that in some form or fashion, Shaheem Carter won't be on the field a lot. Whether that's at safety, whether that's uh, maybe playing some star himself. Uh, I just think that the, the guy is is going to be a big part of this defense. But I think the soft spot, as you as you called it, right now you have to look at uh, you have to look at the inside linebacker position once you get past Dylan Moses, uh, Josh McMillan, a fifth year senior. We saw him go wire to wire at weak side linebacker in the spring. Maybe he's going to be that guy in base and nickel. Um, Nick Saban at uh, SEC Media Days spoke to the fact that they may have a committee type approach. So, you know, it could be that, you know, uh, they they look at McMillan as a base guy. Maybe they got somebody else there in nickel. Dylan Moses is going to be an every down inside linebacker, but you have to still have a base and nickel option, certainly as much nickel as they play. So I'm going to go with inside linebacker opposite, opposite Dylan Moses. And, you know, maybe it's Josh McMillan. Maybe it's Shane Lee, the early enrollee. Maybe it's one of the second-year guys. Maybe it's Markel Benton. Um, They've got a lot to sort out there as they move throughout fall camp. If they do end up in a platoon spot at that other inside linebacker spot where they've got one guy – who's playing a lot on early downs, whose role in the defense primarily is fill the right gap, get the run fits right, and, 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 and don't give up any you know anything cheap between the tackles. Another guy on the other end of the platoon who, who the coaching staff trusts more in coverage. Um, who, who slides into what role, in your, in your opinion, among these candidates? Well, the, the bottom line, and you know this, because as we just said, as much nickel as they play, if you're in that platoon, you don't want to be the base guy. Right. I mean, if they come to you and say, congratulations, you won the base job yeah. in this platoon, you, you came up short on that deal. because We'll, we'll see you LSU week. <laughs> Some goal line. Yeah, and even LSU O's talking about full wide receivers, throwing it around, spreading it out. Um, that's a bad O, but that's all I got. Um, you know, it, it really is going to come down to that nickel guy because once they go dime, it's just going to be Dylan Moses out there. Um, you know, and and perhaps even an, another outside linebacker to go with him if they play some three-man front uh, in the dime because we've seen that in the past with an extra outside linebacker out there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question. And it, I would think, Josh McMillan goes into camp as much as we saw him with the ones in the spring mm-hmm. as the guy that could potentially be both the base and the nickel guy to start the season. Uh, I think Shane Lee has the potential to make a run at that. You know, a couple of guys that you don't want to say it's sort of a crossroads sort of situation for this early in their career, but if you're Ali Cahoe and you're Jalen Moody, going into your second year in the program and this kind of opportunity is sitting there for you and if you don't if you don't sort of nail something down 
and, and understanding Dylan Moses could be gone after this season, and then you're going to have another spot open. So, again, not to say that it's now or never for the second-year guys, Cahoe and Moody, but, man, it, it's right there for you right now. And so um, you would think one of those guys would certainly be in the mix as well. But I, I think it's I think it's pretty wide open, although we've talked about it many times. Trust is everything, and the trust right now, I think, resides heavily in the favor of the veteran, and that's Josh McMillan. Going to be uh, a closely watched uh, position and God battle forbid for sure. Moses gets hurt. I mean, think about that. Right. You talk about the, the catastrophic scenario. Something happens to Dylan Moses. Uh, now you got to figure out two guys. Right. You know, to, 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 and one of those guys has to run the show. And, and that's where McMillan is is has a lot of value, actually, because I think if it came down to that, I think Josh McMillan would have to be one of those guys, simply for the fact that he could get everybody lined up um, more so than than what's what else is is there. With that in mind, much the way Nick Saban like likes to make sure that number two quarterback gets plenty of reps just in case he's needed in an emergency. Do you see Josh McMillan getting practice reps in camp as the call guy uh, just so they've got more than one player prepared to do that? Could be. I think they're probably comfortable enough with him as a fifth-year senior to think that he can do it, but you know, there's nothing like actually repping it. Uh, and I think he already does some of that um, you know, in, in, in those situations. But, yeah, I, I think maybe even more so than McMillan – you look ahead to 2020 McMillan and Moses potentially could be gone after this season. I mean, you know, McMillan's gone. Moses could be gone. So you've got to start thinking about who that next guy is going to be for as early as uh, a year from now. Real quick, before we get out of here, some thoughts on the defensive line. That's uh, the, the untouched part of the defense so far. Uh, We, we've talked a little bit uh, about the secondary and the linebackers, uh, Raquan Davis coming back. I guess you'd call him uh, hard. Kind of strange to say this because it seems like he just got to Alabama, but he's the old man of the line, Travis. He is, and it's a contract year for Raquan Davis. So you would think uh, we see a return to the sort of production he had in 2017. Uh, you know, Quentin Williams made it hard for just about anybody else to have a tackle for loss up front. He pretty much made them all last year but that opportunity will certainly be available to Raquan Davis you would think he'll be subject to a lot of attention from opposing offenses probably going to see more than his fair share of double teams and that's why it's going to be important for LeBron Ray to sort of move to that level of, of performance that's been anticipated for him for this season you know, you kind of looked ahead when he came in a couple of years ago and thought, with the way this may shake out up front, 2019 should be the year of arrival for LeBron Ray, and he's going to have that opportunity. Uh, DJ Dale making a big splash back in the spring as an early enrollee. Looks like he's going to head into fall camp as one of those top three up front. So, you know, with, with Davis leading the way, um, you know, Ray certainly been around, has the ability, the talent to to step in there and produce. Uh, there, there's excitement about DJ Dale, but, you know, I'm interested in sort of the third end. Um, you know, there's going to be great competition there because Alabama in this latest class, I, I think 
I think most people think, knocked it out of the park at the defensive line position. Six defensive line signees, three we saw back in the spring, Dale being one of them, Antonio Alfano, and Justin Aboigby, who I think has a chance um, to, to be a, a third defensive end candidate, along with a couple of other guys. I think even some of the summer enrollees in that defensive line class um, have a chance to, to be in that mix. So the competition, probably more so for depth spots, is going to be outstanding, but you know, you think about a year from now with Raquan Davis gone and you kind of worry about that. I, I wouldn't worry about that as much because, again, with what Alabama did on the recruiting trail for the 2019 class, I think Alabama's in a great spot with the defensive line for the years to come. Alabama's second team defensive line is, is some some years it's crazy talented. It's always at least pretty solid. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, the young players coming in, much hyped. Uh, yep. at the defensive line and and uh, Nick Saban's uh, Nick Saban's defenses often have a uh, a young or a freshman contributor up front. It's not uncommon at all. So we'll see uh, what shakes out there. That's going to do it for this opening season four edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Went a little long, uh, which of course is uh, understandable. Coming off this summer hiatus, enjoyed previewing Alabama's fall camp. We'll be uh, continuing with some podcasts throughout camp, throughout the month of August. Once the season gets underway, as always, we'll be firing out a midweek podcast to preview the upcoming Alabama game. And then the Sunday Nighter uh, recaps the the game in the books. So looking forward to that schedule once again uh, with Travis throughout the fall. Uh, And again, podbean.com is the web host you can also get us on itunes google play stitcher and tune in so for travis ryer of BamaOnline.com and southern fried sports radio i'm chase goodbread of nfl.com and crimson cover television we'll talk to you next time right here on talking tide